0: Thank you so much, worship team, for leading us to worship the Lord despite distractions and being flexible. Thank you all for your patience. We have to have something like that every now and then to show that we are not professional and that this is not a show, right? You are here as participants to worship the Lord together. So thanks for singing along and and worshiping him. The British rock band Muse, who happened to play last night at Blues Fest, put out a song in recent years, which I think was a a perceptive look into the psyche of most people in our day. The song struck a chord, and not just because it rocked. Listen to some of these lyrics. It sings this. Help me. I've fallen on the inside. I tried to change the game. I tried to infiltrate, but now I'm losing. Men in cloaks always seem to run the show. Save me from the ghosts and shadows before they eat my soul. And then, despite Muse's open atheism, the chorus rings out with this plea. Mercy. Mercy. Show me mercy from the powers that be. Show me mercy. Can someone rescue me? Now think about what this song is saying. It's saying that we all have deep needs inside, whether for freedom, or peace, or success, or fulfillment, or whatever. This song is saying that in some way, we are all, uh, being oppressed or afflicted. Whether by, whether that be by the powers that be, or men in cloaks, or ghosts in shadows. We are a hurting people. Feeling restrained. Downtrodden haunted. And on top of all this, we recognize that we somewhat deserve all this. We have fallen into a hole of our own making. They say, we're fallen on the inside. We failed to do what we were set out to do. we were losing. And we can't fix things ourselves. So we have to look outside ourselves. We need help. We need to be saved. We need a rescue. We need Mercy. Now, I don't know where muse or the people singing along with them hope to find help. But what honesty they're communicating about the human experience. Almost everyone feels like this on some level. If you dig deep enough. Helpless. Hurting. Held down. And in a Self-induced mess. So whoever hears us, show us mercy. I'd like to contend today that we as Christians should hear this plea from our world, and it should strike a chord in us to absolutely answer the call and show mercy. In fact, it's not just because people are asking for it or they want it. This is something that our Savior demands of us. And something that he says we'll actually be incredibly blessed for doing. If you have a Bible, please turn in them to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew 5 is the passage we're camped out in right now for most of the summer. As we study what a a God-blessed life looks like according to Jesus. you so find your spot, just keep that open, and then I invite you to pray with me as we begin to read his holy word. Heavenly Father, today as we read these words, I pray that we would hear your heart. That we would hear what your spirit has to say to each one of us, that every heart here would be open and ready to hear, ready to listen, and ready to obey. God, we need you. And in this moment, we need you. So please come and speak to us now your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. From the beginning of the chapter, it says this, Seeing the crowds, Jesus went up on the mountain, For they shall be satisfied. Now, as I've pointed out each week as we've gone through these, there's a definite progression here. Each beatitude flows from the previous ones. They build on each other. And this is more important than ever as we approach the fifth one in verse 7, which says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. If we isolate this verse from the others... That came before. It can lead us to some really faulty views. Remember now that that Jesus is speaking primarily to and about his followers here. Which means that everyone whom these words describe has already received mercy. They've already received mercy. Even God just leading us to be poor in spirit and to mourn our sin and to be meek and to hunger and thirst after righteousness. Those are mercies of God. And each verse, as we went along, has a definite blessing attached to it, which is also mercy. The poor in spirit become part of the kingdom of heaven. That's mercy. Then the mourning, those who grieve their sin are comforted. Mercy. Then the meek become heirs of the entire earth. That's great mercy. And then... Those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, those who crave righteousness, are satisfied. Mercy. And all this mercy very naturally then leads to showing mercy to others. Verse 7 again. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. So, God's people are, should be both recipients and givers of mercy. What does that mean? What is mercy? What does it mean to be merciful? The definition I commonly use for mercy is simply not getting what we deserve. Not getting what we deserve. So, if I drove down Main Street at 130 kilometers an hour and got pulled over, and the officer didn't ticket me or impound my car, That would be mercy. (laughs) However, I think Jesus actually meant something broader than that kind of mercy here. Not giving others what they deserve is definitely implied, but mercy can be more than just that. John Stott defines mercy as compassion for people in need. Compassion for people in need. He says, the word that Jesus used here in Matthew 5-7 always deals with pain and misery, and distress. Which, by the way, are all effects and results of sin. So, mercy seeks to extend help, to extend relief, to extend healing in the midst of sin and its pain. That's a a good way to see mercy. Seeks to extend relief, healing, or help in the midst of sin and its pain. It starts as an inward sympathy, and then it moves outward, taking action to relieve whatever situation. So who are the merciful that Jesus says are blessed? Here's how I would phrase the main point for us this morning. God blesses people who show mercy to others. God blesses people who show mercy to others. That's simply. Blessed are the merciful. And there are several places in the Bible we can look to for examples of mercy. You may may think of Joseph showing mercy to his brothers. Maybe David showing mercy to Jonathan's son, Mephibosheth. Probably the the quintessential example of mercy is in Jesus' parable of the Good Samaritan. From Luke 10. I'll turn there and, and you can feel free to do so as well if you'd like. Luke 10, and verse 29, it says this, But he, this is a lawyer talking to Jesus, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half-dead. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Jesus then said, Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? Now, notice the man's answer. He said, The one who showed him mercy. The one who showed him mercy. That's the same term as in Matthew 5. The one who showed mercy. A vivid picture of mercy. Reveals a lot of things about mercy to us. The Samaritan's mercy is costly. It was risky. Potentially a long-term commitment. Uh, the mercy he showed crossed over social and religious boundaries of the day. It didn't matter that the guy he helped probably hated his guts. And the Samaritan also showed a very practical mercy. He, he, he sterilized his wounds, he bandaged them up, he transported him to safety, he paid for his lodging. It, and then he was apparently willing to do whatever it took to show mercy. But notice where the mercy started. It started for the Samaritan on the inside. In verse 33 it says, But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. And then that inner compassion quickly turned into merciful action. I am personally pretty introverted. So I know a number of you will not feel the same way as I do here. But if you're like me at all, Other people can often seem to be bothers and nuisances. Right? If not worse, I can be pretty judgmental and look down on others, seeing them as idiots. If not, plain jerks, if they hurt me in any way. Who needs them? Mercy... Drastically changes the way I see other people. It starts there. Particularly people who are hurting or who, who are hurting themselves or who have hurt me. They're not just annoyances. They're people worthy of my attention. They're not just idiots. God intentionally placed them along my path for a reason. They're not just selfish or hurtful. They are fellow sinners like me who are caught in slavery to sin. Martin Lloyd-Jones describes what changes when he sees people this way. He says, I have come to see them not simply as men whom I dislike, but as men to be pitied. I have come to see them as being governed by the God of this world, as being still where once I was and would be yet but for the grace of God. So I am sorry for them. I do not merely see them in what they do. I see them as the slaves of hell and of Satan, and my whole attitude toward them is changed. You might think there, reading those words, how is that not just another sense of superiority? Right? To to feel pity for people as slaves of hell and Satan? That doesn't seem much better much of an improvement from bothersome jerks, right? But it is a drastically better better viewpoint, and here's why. Because the only way that I should start seeing other people in this light is if I see myself as this first. The only way I should start seeing people as slaves of hell and of Satan is if I saw myself that way first. If I don't see myself in the same light, then yes, it is a terribly arrogant view. I have to start with myself. But if we've done what Jesus says here in Matthew 5, if we've become properly poor in spirit and mourned our sins and become meek and so on, then there's no way we can possibly see ourselves as better than anyone else. We see ourselves as the worst of sinners who have received unfathomable mercy. And we see others with Jesus' eyes, as people harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. We often have a hard time sympathizing with people in certain situations, unless we've gone, unless we personally experience what they're going through. Right? So, for example, if you've never lost someone close to you, it's easy to judge people in grief. And we, we don't understand why they can't stop crying. We, we can see grief as a weakness. But once we've seen a loved one of our own pass away, it's much easier than to sympathize with others. Or for a lighter example... You know all those terrible parents whose kids throw tantrums in stores? You know, I always thought they must be slacking off in the parenting department. (laughs) That is, until I had kids of my own. And then I learned, sometimes there is nothing you can do. (laughs) Sometimes a kid just wants to scream for half an hour for no reason whatsoever. And so now, I don't judge when I see that I sympathize with them. I feel sorry for them because I've been there. The same way, when we realize how bad of sinners we are, we don't, uh, when we realize how bad of sinners we are, we don't judge others as much anymore. We sympathize with them, even if they're hurting us because we have been there. So, if you aren't merciful to other people, the first step to take is to look in the mirror. The more you know of your own sin, the more merciful you'll be with others. Now, Jesus doesn't specify here who we should show mercy to. So, we should just be merciful, period. The implication, we should be merciful to anyone and everyone. Right? Notice he doesn't say, be merciful to all the other merciful people out there. Or be merciful, but, you know, some people will abuse you too much, so set a limit on your mercy. Nothing could be further from what Jesus said in this sermon. In fact, later on in this same chapter, he said, But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Everyone does that. Everyone loves those who love them. But my people are to be different. Mercy, or it's really a form of love, is to be shown to everyone, even those who hate you. John Stott says, "...Jesus gives no indication whether he is thinking primarily of those overcome by disaster, or of the hungry, the sick, and the outcasts on whom he himself regularly took pity, or of those who wrong us so that justice cries out for punishment, but mercy for forgiveness." There was no need for Jesus to elaborate. Our God is a merciful God and shows mercy continuously. The citizens of his kingdom must show mercy too. That quote begins to give us some examples of opportunities we have to show mercy. One clear opportunity is to people in physical need. People in physical need, like the Good Samaritan did. So, how do you respond when someone comes and asks you for help? Whether it's a a friend in tough straits or a stranger on the street. How do you respond? Do you judge them? Despise them? Ignore them? Deny them? It depends, right? I know that... Every situation is different, and and the solution in this is not just dumping money on everyone, okay? So don't misunderstand me. But ask yourself, what would a merciful person do in this situation? I believe they would seek to help in some way. In some way, mercy takes takes pity and then action. So this plays into how we respond when we hear of of natural disasters or injustices around the world. It, It affects how we generously give when we hear of someone else in need. Whether it's a family within our own church, or an orphan in the third world. Sinclair Ferguson says, Mercy is getting down on your hands and knees and doing something to restore dignity to someone whose life has been broken by sin." Another opportunity we have to show mercy is to people who are in sin. People who are in sin. Now think of of some of the most blatant sinners in the world. Okay? What do you think of them? Mercy wouldn't look down on them or despise them. It would pity them. Not that everyone is innocent. Okay? But without Christ... Without Christ, we are all blind victims and prisoners. They warrant compassion from us, not condemnation. It's not for us to judge, it's God that will judge. But this also most definitely applies to fellow believers in sin as well. How would mercy react to those who keep stumbling, even in maddening ways around us? It wouldn't give up on them. It wouldn't distance yourself from them. It certainly wouldn't gossip about them or slander them. Jude 22 and 23 says, And have mercy on those who doubt, Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. And 1 Thessalonians 5.14 says, And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. That's mercy. Again, you've been there. You've been there. It is the epitome of self-righteousness to think you are above that. That they should have grown out of it by now. That you never do what they do. This, doesn't, this all doesn't mean you never call out sin. All right? We should feel. We should be free to do that in each other's lives, to help spur one another on. But it means that we should do this in order to show mercy and in order to help them grow. One other major opportunity we have to show mercy is to people who hurt us. And this is likely the absolute hardest form of mercy to show. Letting go of bitterness... Forgiving others wrongs. Not seeking to get even. We think, well, what if they don't really deserve mercy from us? Or they really don't deserve mercy from us? And I'd answer, that's kind of the whole point of mercy. Okay? It's for the undeserving. No one is saying that hurtful or abusive people don't deserve justice. They do. Okay? What they did might be beyond painful. It might be despicable. The world wouldn't bat an eye if you hated them forever. But Jesus calls his people to be different. Distinct. He calls us to be merciful and forgiving. I might also object here, well, what if someone isn't sorry about the way they hurt me? I mean, maybe they don't even know that they hurt you. And this, of course, makes it even harder to forgive someone. But we can still forgive them in our hearts Now. We can let go of the bitterness. We can choose to bear the pain that they deserve. After all, were you sorry or repentant before Jesus died for you to forgive you? What happened first? He bore the pain that we deserve. His forgiveness came first. Others here you are thinking, well, if we adopt this merciful mindset and lifestyle, that'll just make us weak, right? If we forgive terrible hurts in our lives, won't that just open the door to, to further hurts or abuse? Won't we get trampled underfoot all over the place? Well, you mean like Jesus? Perhaps. Now, again... Don't misunderstand me. You can take safeguards against abuse. You should. You can cut things off in certain ways. You can get help. You can get protection. You need to do that. But we need to forgive. Jesus suffered plenty of abuse. We don't like the idea that we might do the same because we don't really believe that the Bible tells the truth and we're called to suffer and endure like Christ suffered for us. We may. However, even in the mistreatment that we may face, there are blessings there. Like Charles Spurgeon says. Oh, says one, if we were to go about the world acting like that, we should get imposed upon, we should get badly treated, and so on. Well, try it, brother, try it, sister." And you shall find that any misery that comes to you through being too tender-hearted and too gentle and too merciful will be so light an affliction that it will not be worthy to be compared with the peace of mind that it will bring you and the constant wellspring of joy which it will put into your own bosom as well as into the bosoms of others. I love it so honestly. Just try it. And I think that we'll all find that following in our Savior's footsteps will be well worth it. So by now, you may be thinking, okay, so so how do I do this? How do I become merciful? Because there's a lot of roadblocks in my heart. I can't get there. I cannot. I do not have the love for people in need. I do not have the, the forgiveness for people who have hurt me. And so I, I get that. How do we develop this merciful attitude in our hearts, which leads to merciful action for them? And to be honest... Without God growing this in our hearts, we won't be able to become merciful. You may know the the story of the Good Samaritan. You may know the story well, but if you have really studied it, you know that the Good Samaritan wasn't only to show an example of mercy, but to also show us how, uh, how unattainable it was for us. That it is beyond our human abilities to live like that. However, that doesn't mean we can't become merciful. Because God is actually working in his people. He is working. Lloyd-Jones explains, What makes me merciful is the grace of God. But, the grace of God does make me merciful. God's grace points to a first way that we can cultivate this mercy in our hearts. And that is to receive and then savor the gospel. Receive and savor the gospel. There is nothing that will change your attitude on mercy and forgiveness more than receiving mercy and forgiveness yourself through Jesus' death. And then realizing your continual daily need for forgiveness. God has forgiven his people Fully. And freely. And gladly. And eternally. And at great cost to himself. We will never understand the pain he bore in order to show us mercy. We deserved hell. But he loved us enough to go through hell on our behalf. And now he offers complete Pardon to anyone who will receive it. Total forgiveness. Absolution. If you have never received his mercy, there is an urgent need for you to do so even today. And if you have received it, there is a constant need for us to savor God's mercy, to meditate on it, to think on it, to preach it to ourselves. The more that we can grasp the depths of our sin and the greater depths of God's mercy, the more it will instill mercy into our own hearts. And if we say that we've received mercy, we've received God's mercy, but are still withholding it from others, it's very possible we haven't ever truly received God's mercy. At the least... We haven't fully grasped the forgiveness we have in him. Because God's mercy must and will motivate our own mercy. In Matthew 18, Jesus told another powerful parable. You can flip over a few pages to Matthew 18 if you want. Jesus told this story. Matthew 18, verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents, or in modern equivalents, about a million dollars. Okay? And since he could not pay... that mercy didn't change the man's harder actions. Look at verse 28. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a, a hundred denarii, which is about a hundred dollars. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay whatever you owe, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant sat, fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused. And when and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. And Jesus concluded, so also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Your biggest hurts in life are like those $100 debts. If you refuse to forgive them, it shows you haven't grasped your own forgiveness. Because if you're saved, you have had a million dollar debt written off in blood. like to echo what Colin Smith says here. He says, God's forgiveness is both the model and the motive of our own forgiving. You may have experienced hurts and words that are extremely hard to forgive. Hurts that I know nothing about. Hurts that are deeper than anything I've ever experienced. But here's what you need to know. No one has had more to forgive than God. So receive the gospel. Savor it. If he's forgiven you, it's a crazy debt he's paid. Savor it until it soaks into your pores, becomes part of who you are. Second action you can take is to become become more merciful. Is to be sensitive to the Spirit. God is by nature merciful. And believers are blessed to have God's own spirit live inside of us. So the merciful God of heaven now lives inside of us. Titus 3, 5, and 6 says that God saved us and richly poured out his Holy Spirit on us. Now that should give us hope. right? That no matter how difficult mercy might seem to us, it's possible. Because the spirit lives inside of us. And if we are aware and sensitive to the Spirit's leading, He can help us become more merciful. He can speak to us through God's Word to convict us, to change our hearts, teaching us to get rid of bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander and malice, teaching us to have compassionate, kind, and tender hearts. He can open our eyes to see people's needs around us, to to see opportunities that we have to show mercy. He can stir our hearts to obey the Lord and to love them, even if we don't feel like it. So, sensitively listen to what God's Spirit tells you, and follow Him, and you can grow in mercy. One final step I'll mention is to intentionally initiate forgiveness for those who hurt us. Intentionally initiate forgiveness. Some of you are holding on to bitterness or grudges that are 5, 10, 25, even 50 years old. And it's like those hurts have actually become part of you. They, they've shaped you. And you can't even fathom not holding it against that person anymore. Forgiveness seems impossible to you. May Maybe even pointless to you. Maybe they're not sorry. Maybe they're not even alive anymore. But if there is still anger and bitterness here... You haven't truly forgiven them. And maybe you think it doesn't matter whether you ever do. And I'd say, I think Jesus' bloody cross says something different. And you need to take steps to initiate forgiveness in your heart. Again, those other things have to come first. We have to receive the gospel. We have to be sensitive to the Spirit. But once we are, we can initiate this. To express the hurt that you do feel. To give it over to Jesus. To let him take it from you. And to forgive you. And then for you to choose to forgive others. You might be able to sit down. To to meditate on the gospel. And to work through this yourself. That's great. You might need help to do this. To ask a, a Christian friend. To pray through it with you. You may even need to ask a. a a leader or a counselor to, to go through with you, to help you. There's no shame in that. Okay, Recognize your poverty of spirit. You're poor in spirit. You'll be blessed. All of us need help from others at times. And it's only pride that prevents us from taking it. So today we need to ask ourselves the question. Am I merciful? Am I merciful? But perhaps the more important question is, have I truly received God's mercy? Because once we receive mercy, like I've said, it will naturally lead to showing mercy. And then that will naturally lead to great blessing from God. Some of us think, well, showing mercy sounds too hard. It doesn't sound very blessed at all. And it might not. At least until you realize your own desperate need for mercy. There's guilt and shame and sorrow and fear and condemnation that consume way too many of us. Don't you want to be free from that? That is what is offered to you. By Jesus. Verse 7 again in in Matthew 5. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Here's our full main point. God blesses those who show mercy to others by showing them his own mercy. God blesses people who show mercy to others by showing them his own mercy mercy and his mercy is infinitely greater than our own blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy now you may think this verse sounds almost like karma right be good and good will come back to you here's the there's a, a massive difference between karma and Jesus words here what's the difference This is not a fair trade. This is not karmic retribution, getting what you deserve for doing what you're supposed to. This is not a fair trade. We don't just give some mercy and have some mercy come back to us. This is us being merciful and God rewarding us with way beyond what we could ever deserve. This is not what we deserve. It's like us giving others a cup of water and God flooding us with a tsunami. It's it's us helping a few people in need and, and forgiving 20, 30, 100 crimes against us. And it's God saving me from hell. Forgiving millions of crimes I've committed against him. We can't earn that. We can never repay that grace. The story is told of an encounter John Wesley had with an unforgiving man in his day. This would have been back in the the 1700s or so. The man had caught one of his servants stealing and drinking some of his wine. And so he was intent on having his servant beaten for his crime. Well, John Wesley saw this about to happen. He had pity and he tried to intervene. He begged the man to pardon his servant, to let him off with a warning. But the man replied, It's no use, Mr. Wesley. You know, sir, I never forgive. Wesley replied, Well then, sir, I hope you know that you will never be forgiven, or else I hope that you've never sinned. Now, some of you may wonder, I say all this, but is is us... Receiving mercy here, dependent on us showing mercy. In other words, is God's mercy contingent on our own? If so, wouldn't that be based on merit? That may appear to be the case at first glance, but on closer reflection, it can't mean that. After all, if it did, if we show mercy and God only shows mercy then, every single one of us would certainly be doomed to never be forgiven. John Stott explains, those who show mercy find it. This is not because we can merit mercy by mercy or forgiveness by forgiveness, but because we cannot receive the mercy and forgiveness of God unless we repent. And we cannot claim to have repented of our sins if we are unmerciful towards the sins of others. To forgive and to be forgiven, to show mercy and to receive mercy, these belong indissolubly together. You understand what he's saying? say if you never repent of your sins you won't be shown mercy for them that's basic right if you never repent of your sins you won't be shown mercy for them but if you refuse to show mercy to others then you haven't really repented cuz that's a sin right that bitterness holding on to it it's a sin we haven't truly repented. It's that simple. Any truly repentant follower of Christ will be merciful. And thus, we'll be blessed. God's mercy here is really given on both sides of our own. Before and after. It's given to us before we're merciful. Which leads us to be merciful. And then after we're merciful, God lavishes even more mercy out on us. Both now, as we experience the freedom and the joy that the compassion and forgiveness brings, and in the future, as we are mercifully given full pardon and, and welcomed into God's presence. So we conclude and we wonder, well, what does God's mercy look like? wonder whether it's really worth it. May we look again at Christ. And see the perfect demonstration of mercy in him. In him, we see what it cost God. What it meant for God to give mercy to us. Seeing us in our sin and in our pain. Having compassion and then taking our place in death. Matthew Bogus says it well. He says, The merciful shall receive mercy because Jesus, the only one who exercises eternal mercy, was given their judgment. They can draw near to God's throne with confidence and receive mercy in their time of need because Jesus was not given help in his time of need. Though they deserve an eternal judgment and punishment, mercy has triumphed for them because God chose to have mercy on them. And he is just to do so because, God, because Jesus was judged instead of them. The merciful are merciful simply because they have received and will continue to receive mercy. Jesus' life proved this as He, the Most Merciful One, ultimately did receive merciful aid from the Father, and He was raised to life, exalted to the glories of heaven, proving once and for all that the blessing of mercy far outweighs the pain. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I know in my heart this is true and I sense it is true of many here. We need your help with this. This is such a hard thing for us to do. And if we keep trying to do it on our own, we're not going to make it. We need you. Lord, I pray that you would show us the depths of our sin. So that we can become merciful with the sins of others. Meet us in our pain. So we can meet others in their pain. Show us your mercy. We need it. Rescue us from ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen. You can stay seated for a moment. Emmanuel and the team are going to lead a special song as we close. Just sit back, meditate on the words, and then we'll close by singing together. You'll be able to stand and sing. But just uh, think of these words, ponder in your own heart the mercy that God has shown for you.